Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Please take your seats quickly, ladies and gentlemen. Thank you. Hello ladies and gentlemen, welcome to Tennis Weekly with Joel and Kim, sponsored by DownloadTennis.com on today's Tour Catch-Up. Caroline Garcia captures the Cincinnati title as a qualifier. Borna Chorich becomes the lowest ever ranked Masters champion. And Roger Federer teams up with the Royal Family for charity at the Labour Cup. Kim, today is the 22nd of August and we are here to catch up on the week in tennis at Tennis Weekly HQ. We are coming off the back of our final Masters event before the US Open, the Cincinnati Open, and we have a couple of surprise champions. We have Caroline Garcia and Borna Chorich as our singles champs. And I've got to say, Kim, this set of, of Masters events with Cincinnati and the Canadian Open preceding it, we have had just a very random set of of champions that I think no one, not even not even us, not even people who follow the tour religiously, could have even predicted. I think quite, uh, but it's 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 great that we get you know an, a more open feel that we get these surprises, and I think it's it's inevitable, isn't it? When when certain players maybe aren't in the draw, you know, can't play the draw, mm. <laughs> things are changing, Joel. <laughs> but you know, both of the players of the past week, you know, Cincinnati champions, you could say that A, they shouldn't need to qualify or B, they shouldn't be that lowly ranked. Mm. So um, yes, it's a surprise, but it's also them, I guess, fulfilling their potential as well. So, I mean, we'll get onto that in detail, but... um, I am so confused about Caroline Garcia and the fact that this is not surprising in, in the sense, if you look at her, like, form in the last few months, I think she's won the most victories on the tour since the start of June. And yet... Somehow she's having to find herself qualified for these events. I don't understand it. I know the rankings are a bit jumbled at the moment and I I still don't understand. There is many kind of peculiarities like Garbina Muguruza. I'm still not sure how she is so high up. But yeah, this is, again, one of those things I just don't really understand. So we're going to we are going to deep dive into it. But before we get into that, Kim, I think for me, the biggest surprise this week has actually been something else. And that is I heard a rumour that you climbed Mount Snowdon in in Wales at the weekend. A rumor? Do you mean do you mean my Instagram feed? <laughs> yeah, by rumor I mean your Instagram stories. I saw it and I was like, oh, that I I was like I was very impressed when when that happened. I mean, how hard was that? It, it was all right. It, it's quite a gentle uh, mountain to go up if mountains can be gentle. But I think <laughs> compared to some of the other ones in the UK or elsewhere, it, it's it's quite uh, accessible. Uh, you know, if you haven't done much mountain walking before i mean there's a train that goes part of the way yeah. up or, or usually goes all the way up so it's yes. not too bad and um yeah it was very enjoyable i would have taken the train i would have taken tra- in fact i actually have taken the train <laughs> i have been up snowden and i didn't fancy i didn't fancy the the walk so yeah i, I do enjoy the fact that 
it is accessible in the sense you can just get you can just get public transport up it and then just take a photo at the summit and pretend you walked it <laughs> which is not what i did just clarifying but uh... but i hope you you were checking live scores in in cincinnati right from the uh the top was there good was there good phone reception there was good reception but i wasn't because of the time difference joel i, I wasn't climbing the mountain in in the middle of our night so i, I was a bit early for the cincinnati oh, I see. Okay. finals i have to say but i, I sorry you were looking at the w25 <laughs> Uh, in Aldershot on the, on the ITF tour, right? The, obviously. I mean, I, I wanted to be there, but I had other commitments. Um, so I'm fully caught up with Cincinnati. I was able to still watch the finals, uh, which was fantastic. Uh, so yeah, it was it was a nice treat after my mm. day of exercise up the mountain. Um, I mean, let, let's, let's talk about the finals, the tennis, what we're here for. Um, you know, let's start with the men. Borna Chorich. Um, seven six six two over Stefanos Tsitsipas in the final. Uh, definitely, you know, a final we did not predict when we were making our tentative guesses last week. Um, Borna Chorich back with a bang after spending most of last season out with a shoulder injury. Um, yes, he's the lowest ranked um player to have won uh a Masters one thousand tournament. He's currently at one five two in the world. Um you know, due to the fact that he's been out for so long with an injury. Um, he shot up now to 29 in the live rankings. After yeah, he's going to be this. seeded for the US Open. Yeah, and rightly so. Uh, I mean, what did you make of what we saw tennis-wise from Jorich this this tournament? You know, starting out of that, that match mm. against Rafa all the way through to the final, he's just been playing brilliant tennis. Yeah, I mean, just, just on Nadal, I mean, you're obviously a big Nadal fan. I mean, he had a great week, didn't he? Only player to take a set off Borna Chorich. So, you know, there's... <laughs> no, I'm joking. Um, but no, seriously, with, with Borna Chorich, he's had a fantastic run. I'd probably say this has been the most memorable run so far in the, you know, in the tour this season. The fact that he had to come through qualifying, first of all, even to get into the main mm. draw. I think he was quoted early on in the tournament saying, you know, he didn't really you know, expect it to go very far. He thought he was going to kind of go out in, in round one. I imagine he was thinking, getting into the main draw as a qualifier, job done, see where, you know, see where I get to. And he really had a, a fantastic match against Rafael Nadal. I think we were sort of expecting, you know, Nadal coming back, wasn't able to play the the Canadian Open and you know, it was all going to be kind of smooth sailing for him um, as a little kind of gentle match back in uh you know to the tour pre-us open but borna chorich really did have other ideas and and this is a player who as you said has been off the tour for so long but at the same time we've got to remember that when he did come on to the the tour he you know he was considered a prodigy he was considered i think you know part of the you know the next gen you know i think we were talking about him as a you know a top five player he had had decent results at, at grand sams he's got to a you know, quarter final um, at the US Open. So, you know, he's not a player who I think is, is certainly very, very talented. And it was incredible given the injury struggles that he, he has gone through to put this run together. I mean, five seeded players he took out, including Nadal, Bautista Agut, Ojeh Aliassim, and then Britain's Cam Norrie in the semi finals. Even just to get to the final, it was, uh, you know, an, in- an incredible, incredible run that. I think we're going to be looking back on, you know, at the end of the season as probably, arguably, one of the, the best runs, you know, we've seen by a champion this season. Yeah, I mean, just right right from the off, like having to come through qualifying, obviously held him in good stead, getting that early win over Massetti, 
coming up against Rafa, you know, in his first match back. When I looked at that, I thought, oh, oh you know, Rafa's, you know, got, got a good three set match in, but, you know, I would have liked to have seen Rafa get more matches under his belt going into the US Open. Just on that, what was your immediate reaction to that versus what it is now? Because given we've seen him get to the final and go and actually win the trophy, are you actually a little bit more sort of relieved or are you still a little bit nervous given I'm looking at these results, particularly in Cincinnati and also in in Canada last week, that I know we talk about the the women's draw at Grand Sam's being (laughs) completely wide open and anyone from the, the 128 in there couldn't win it. But I certainly feel with... The fact that Borna Chorich winning this week, Pablo Carreño Busta winning uh, last week in or, or a few weeks ago in Montreal, it feels like the men's draw is completely open as well. And I think that is also to do with the fact that you know Rafa went out so early, you know, this week in Cincy. Yeah, I think um, obviously, five, yeah, five set tennis, you know, at, at the Slams is, is a different mm. kettle of fish. Ideally, Rafa will get a draw where he can play his way into the tournament get his matches up that way but yeah I would have liked him to have had more matches under his belt here but you know when we look in hindsight at what Chorich then went on to do <laughs> to comfortably beat you know players like FAA and Norrie and Sitspas, mm. it definitely puts it into a much better context for Rafa so I'm not as concerned as I potentially could have been I mean Chorich really just doing everything that you really need to do this week to to be successful in tennis you know um keeping his unforced error count low, really, really solid serving, like really good, um, like especially in the final, like first serves in and um, even on the second serve, just winning the vast majority of um, points off his serve and like just keeping it nice and clean, powerful stuff. And it's just, um, you know, clinical, especially that, that type, that, well, that second set in the final and, you know, from that tie break on, which was very one-sided, it was, you know, one-way traffic. Bagel. A tie bagel. bagel. I've not heard that before. <laughs> I know. I, 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 I was thinking. I was watching the. I was watching it live, and I was thinking, he has just absolutely taken apart Sispas uh, here. Mm. They both had pretty decent tiebreak records this season going into that, but Chorich just just found another level, and it was a. It was an interesting final that that particularly that first set because Sissipas started so well. You know, he raced into a four-one lead, caught Chorich cold a little bit, and um, he was playing tennis. I thought. Oh, Sissipas is just going to, you know, run away with it. You know, Cinderella dream over and, and Chorich is going to be your runner up. But there was a big kind of momentum shift in the middle of that that second set. And I sensed also there was a little bit of, there was a little bit of needle between the the two of them. Um, you know, Chorich, I, th- I think, was saying to the umpire that, that Sissipas, um, you know, wasn't playing to the rhythm of his serve. Sissipas as well when Chorich was coming to the net there was a few well there was one moment when um he did a a, Sissipas did a body shot uh, straight at Chorich who got out the way looked for the apology didn't get the apology now we've seen I think stuff like that happen before you know with Sissipas but there certainly was a bit of I think needle there and I think actually that elevated Chorich's game and I think you know whereas other players like Nick Kyrgios might get distracted by that and continue to have like a you know a 20 minute conversation with with the umpire Chorich just got straight back down to business and whenever he found himself in in moments of, of difficulty when he was breakpoint down or when he whatever he was in a, a kind of a, a difficult spot he as you said he really did kind of rely on his serve to to break him out of trouble and what amazes me about that Kim is just going back to his his story and the injury that that he has that has plagued him over the last you know twelve months plus really 
the fact that it's to do with his shoulder affecting and inhibiting his motion particularly with you know with his serve it's amazing for him to come back and it works so well and you know hearing from you know his opponents the the actual he's actually improved it he's actually added speed to it he's added more bite and i think on the you know the fast courts of of cincinnati it's what made it so lethal so that even when the first serve wasn't necessarily working his second serve was still doing quite a bit of damage and you know against players like nadal and nori ultimately they just weren't able to figure it out yeah and i think having such a transformative injury you know he was out for such a long time it's you know probably a massive um sort of milestone in in his career and Mm. coming back from that you know yes he's had to adjust his service action perhaps and re-reform it and it's probably like led to you know arguably a better serve like as a result you know you know it's it's a positive outcome perhaps from some such a significant injury so perhaps that's one thing that he's had to just you know adapt and change as a, as a result yeah. and it's um yeah a bit of a, a recipe for success for him at the moment if he can keep it going I mean he has had previous sort of success against Sitspas they played at the US Open I think two years ago and uh, Chorich beats Sitspas in five sets so obviously knew that he could beat him um on his day but yeah I mean prior to this tournament he had you know was four and eight on the season so I don't think anyone would have suddenly thought right George is going to be the one to <laughs> what, come what out I, the woodworks can, here I mean what I love I mean this is probably my favorite uh my favorite stat of uh you know this this triumph he has become the first player to win a champions uh sorry a champions tour level trophy and a Masters 1000 trophy. Um, never been done before, which again, it's just incredible in terms of how he's been, you know, this journey he's been on. And, and again, how open I think the, you know, the tour is at the moment and particularly the, you know, the hard court swing in the United States with, you know, Rafa coming back from injury. There's always that uncertainty around his, you know, around his body. Um, Djokovic doesn't look like he's going to be at the US Open. And, you know, more and more I think about it, I just don't think there is going to be an outright favourite for the US Open. I just think there's going to be a list of players that are just there and you could maybe make the case for them. And I think one of those players is still Stefano Sissipas, who had, again, a very, very good week. He had that semi-final victory against Daniel Medvedev. That was the first victory for him on a hard court against Daniel Medvedev. So quite a big, I think, moment um, in the context of their rivalry going into, you know, what you feel is, you know, Medvedev's strongest um, surface. So, you know, that was a very impressive victory for me. I was watching a bit of that first set and I thought Medvedev was was just going to come through as usual because they're, you know, they're head-to-head when you look at it on paper is a little bit one-sided in, in favour of Medvedev. So to see Sissipas actually battle back um, and take that in three, um, yeah, was was impressive. And again, he'll be a player who may not necessarily be the most liked on on the tour alongside his dad. I know Diego Schwartzman in his uh, post match interview afterwards uh, in the in the third round after his defeat to Sissipas said his his dad was basically not liked on the on the tour at all. Um, but I don't think he's gonna. I don't think he cares one bit. Uh, given you know some of the antics he was getting up to in the final, he's just gonna play his game. And again, I think on the courts in Cincinnati where it is a little bit quicker, I think that helped. You know, I he- think that helped his kind of 
weaker shots, arguably, on the, on the backhand slide. I think it kept his slice low. So it might help him, I think, um, you know, mask potential areas of, of weakness going forward into, uh, into Flushing Meadow. Yeah, and I think with Sitspass, you know, some people were kind of saying he's having a, a bit of a bad year. Uh, but actually, when you look mm. at it, he's had some Where has really that come from? decent Where results. Where has that come from? I don't understand. I understand. Well, I, I sort of understand where it's come from. I feel like people are looking at that in in the Grand Slam context. Yeah, yes, yeah. he got to the semis at the Australian, but, you know, he obviously lost to... Uh, Kyrgios at, at Wimbledon, who got to the you know got to the final, but yeah, the French Open was a little bit of a a sore spot, wasn't it? Yeah, but aside from that, at Masters level, you know, he's been mm. making like semis, finals. Like this was his sixth uh, Masters one thousand final. Like he's number two in the race for the season. So, I mean, going into the US Open, Sitspas has surely like got to be right up there as as one of those that mm. cohort of contenders. So yeah, absolutely. I mean, despite the final disappointing from him you know having been forward up um and then sort of falling away quite quite considerably in that second set I think you know going into the Grand Slam where you know he is more experienced than someone like a Chorich at Grand Slam level as well I mean I'm not sure with Chorich if he's going to keep this form up if he's going to be able to do it over you know consistent five set matches so yes it's, it's all well and good that he's won this tournament it's fantastic but I'm not suddenly gonna you know uh, get too far ahead of myself like like we see with with people who have you know a week of their lives and and win a you know big tournament it's, it's is that going to translate to the grand slams I don't know I mean if I'm thinking of week of our lives uh, in the season so far mm. I'm certainly putting Borna Chorich up there oh, with yeah. your man Kim Tim Van Rijthoven yes Tim absolutely how are you comparing the two in terms of week of our lives because I feel like I feel like TVR's still got the the unknown factor versus yeah, yeah. Chorich, who again, I think was he he for me he was a bit of a prodigy. I think coming onto the tour, it's just been a shame that injuries have have just got in the way of that. Yeah, and he's been at, at this stage like you know finals and what have you before. Mm. So Tim Van Rijhoven, on the other hand, never heard of him, you know, and it was at home <laughs> and he was like a wild card and it was just you know <laughs> out of complete nowhere. So yes, I think Tim has the edge on that one still. Um but yeah, all in all, uh it was a really interesting week on the tour because you know obviously having Chorich win but you know Cam Norrie getting to the semis which is you know great for him getting that win over Alcaraz as well. Career high ranking now. Yeah, he's going to be in the top eight seeds as well for the US Open which is obviously very significant you do avoid certain people um, potentially quite early on so I mean Carlos Alcaraz I, I was expecting him to have, to have come through that one but you know Norrie grabbed it what six four in that third set that second set tie break was uh, some <laughs> some of the most entertaining yeah. tennis I think I saw in the week I think I think there's an argument to say for Alcaraz that you know, I was looking again, looking at some some statistics and looking at his match stats. He's a player who, when he does lose, it just feels like he loses in three sets, mm. and he he does create opportunities, but he doesn't always necessarily take them. and And I particularly look at one key stat for him is breakpoint conversion. And again, he manufactures those moments, but sometimes is just not able to to take them. And I think. Yes, there is an argument to say that will come with with maturity and and more time, you know, on on the tour. But certainly at the moment, you know, I think that's a a little bit of a, a challenge for him in terms of getting to those moments and making the most of it. Because I think in that match against you know Cam, he had his chances to put it. 
beyond him but wasn't able to do that and credit to Norrie because he's such a you know such a battle-hardened competitor gives you absolutely nothing from the back of the court but um yeah I think Alcaraz maybe there's a little bit of work to do there yeah he generates a lot of breakpoint opportunities but doesn't really Mm. tend to take many of them when in those matches those close matches that he he tends to have Mm. you know been ended up losing you don't really see him lose like love love and and one one, or or even like three and two I don't really associate him with kind of Mm. you know your uh you know your a, a straight sets loss yeah, that we've seen other players. I think you know of that top level sometimes um, succumb to. He doesn't really throw in like a really bad performance or have like no. a terrible day at the office. <laughs> he, he he doesn't like to go to the bakery. He's uh, no. doesn't like his bread products, perhaps. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, I mean, just other news from Cincinnati. I guess we saw um, Andy Murray have a good good win over Stan Stan the Man, and then losing to Norrie. That was quite an interesting match, wasn't it? Him yeah. against Norrie. Quite, quite so in- much cramping. Yeah. So much cramping. I mean, he took the first set, but you always thought Norrie was going to do it. You know, I was, I just, yeah, it was. Uh... Yeah, it was hard watching. I mean, it was hard watching because, again, I think Murray, he will be annoyed. He had his moments. So I think he deep down knew that if he was going to win that match, uh, he and he had, you know, he had his moments, and he could have got that done. I think in in straight sets, but I think unfortunately, the the longer it went on, the more it favoured Norrie, and you can see. I think slightly worryingly, um, you know, because it wasn't even com- that, you know, it wasn't even that formidable in terms of the weather conditions, I think, this week in, in Cincinnati, based on the reports I've been reading, actually was a little bit cooler than, you know, was to be expected. But at the same time, yeah, Murray just, body just, just giving out on him towards the end against Nori, you know, affecting his mobility, which is a bit of a, sh- bit of a shame, really. I hope that's not an issue going into the US Open but there's going to be that worry there given that we're going to be going into a longer format more time on court and yeah Murray's body it's not quite what it was and and sadly I think we saw that in in Cincinnati the adventures of Andy Murray on tour continue (laughs) (laughs) he will give us those amazing photos though of him just like in pain and just sort of grinning and bearing it and just being yeah walked off the court for me that was like the that was the lasting impression I got of of Murray's time here but yeah he did pick up a good win good battle actually against uh, Vavrinka in that first round a real sort of obviously a throwback match um but Mm. yeah great to see that you know still going on on the tour yeah for sure (laughs) yeah definitely Andy Murray and and the grimace uh and just battling (laughs) through I mean he is a hero um and he's you know we we obviously um you know he's such a legend for for various reasons but uh, <laughs> uh talking of legends Joel I think you know is there a new legend in the making uh do I dare say the word well I, I think la- a lot I of allowed? our listeners our listeners were debating whether you were allowed to, are allowed to say it but I will grant it given that she has just won her third master's title if that's not legend status, I don't know what is. <laughs> Three WTA 1000s in your career. Mm. Um, yeah, for any listeners who don't know who we're talking about, we are, of course, talking about the new Cincinnati champion, Caroline Garcia, whose renaissance, there I said it, yes, uh, whose renaissance is very much underway, continuing. I would like to combat renaissance with, what about Gar Surgeons? Gar Surgeons. <laughs> Um, I have to I have to actually give a shout out to Tennis Weekly Chris for that cuz uh he was all over it when uh, when this happened and and WhatsApped us um with his own coinage to th- 
to throw into the mix along with uh, Renaissance. Well, I, I love it. Uh, I, I'm sure Garcia <laughs> would, will love it as well um, if she, you know, knew we existed. <laughs> but yes, Caroline Garcia as a qualifier, winning Cincinnati, beating Petra Kvitova in the final, 6-2, 6-4. Nice straight sets win there. Um, this is Garcia's third title of the year, and that's across three different surfaces. Uh, as you mentioned, since June, she's been uh, the leader on the on the tour in terms of um, match wins. She's uh, only... Why is she still qualifying? I don't well, understand, Kim. I know. Why is she still qualifying? Madness. She won't anymore because she is now... I hope not. ...up to, I believe... Uh, top 20 now as a result of of this win um she has only dropped a couple of wins in the last few months yeah she's 17 in the world now and that was you know she's gone from 79th in may which is her lowest ranking in like the last eight years to now 17 um and you know it's all been since roland garros when she she won that that doubles title really i think that's given her a lot of confidence along with her new coach that she started working with as well bertrand perret Perret, probably I should be saying. <laughs> um, you know, I think she's just playing looser. She's not thinking, she's not having so many doubts. She's just kind of going out there, enjoying it, playing the game that she said that she started playing when she kind of first started competing. Um, and then, you know, over the years, she's kind of got a bit confused. She's trying to do a bit of this, a bit of that, doubting herself. And it's kind of all coming a bit, a bit together again, like the game style that she's got and just kind of having more focus and belief. So, it's all paying dividends right now. Yeah, and it's it's working across all court surfaces. Mm. You know, she's playing with some serious, serious confidence, and it's you know it's it's great to see. I think you know she, she certainly I think went through a time when you know she doubted herself. Similar to Borna Chorich, I don't think we doubted her her talent and her expertise, but you know it's it's another thing I think to go out there and and get these victories and put that talent out there in a way that gets you, you know, wins on the tour and gets you trophies because you're going to come up against, you know, similar players. And, you know, what I really liked about Garcia this week was how, you know, she didn't stay, you know, too far behind the baseline. She stayed aggressive. She came in to kill off the points when necessary. And she really kind of didn't let any of her opponents settle. And, um, you know, in the final against someone like uh, Kvitova, I think that really was the, the approach you, you needed to take. Because Cincinnati, one of the you know the quickest courts on the tour, I think that's why we saw quite a few shocks. I, you know, I think there are going to be questions around Iga Svantec and how she how she handles these, these faster courts. Because she came a cropper against Madison Keys, who had a good week. She's a player who, on her day, can be quite a handful I think there's still questions around consistency for her but got to the semi-finals Petra Kvitova as well Kim a player who seemingly hasn't really done a lot for me uh, you know this this season out of nowhere unseeded Petra Kvitova unseeded at a W1000 again feels like unfamiliar territory all the way through to the final along with Caroline Garcia and Sabalenka so just I mean just those four semi-finals today just shows that you know this was a quick court and it suited those those styles of game but as you said Caroline Garcia just coming through I think with the confidence of you know just playing week in week out lots of match wins lots of time on court and I think that really helped her I think just get stuck in you know in this tournament and um, you know her ultimately her aggressiveness and that clarity that I think you know she might have may have been missing 
you know a little bit throughout her her career that um has you know really kind of sharpened her game and has ultimately led her on a rise back up the rankings. Yeah, I mean, what joy to see her getting wins over top players like Zachary, you know, Pagula, mm. Sabalenka, like top 10 players. That Pagula win was very, very good because Pagula's been playing some cracking tennis, hasn't she, over the last mm. last few. Had a very good win against, uh, you know, Raducanu in, in the third round. Um, so for Garcia to come through Pagula in, in front of, you know, American fans in straight sets for me was, yeah, one of you know, was a very impressive victory to me. Yeah, one of the standouts, and yeah, mm. she's been solid all week. Uh, obviously, dropped a set in that semi against Sabalenka, and uh, had a had a battle with with Zachary as well for two sets. But I mean, yeah, just fantastic stuff. Continuing uh, her good form and the confidence, and she's due to be playing um, the tennis in the land tournament this week. I, I'm sort of still skeptical. I feel like maybe pulling out might be mm. a good shout. I think she should with the U.S. Open. You know, is she? Is she a contender for the US Open, Joel, in light wow. of this? I mean, she's not gone beyond the quarterfinals in the singles of a slam before. Um, do you do you still, I mean, it's really difficult, but I mean, she's got to be, she's got to be kind of up there based on recent form, but I still have question marks. <laughs> yeah, and, and I think we'll know based on whether she does pull out of, of tennis in the land, mm. because I think if she does withdraw from that tournament and i i personally think she she should i don't think she needs any more match practice before before the us open but certainly for me if if she does that that to me says she thinks right i'm a contender here and you know i could match anyone and who knows you know i saw emma raducanu win the title last year maybe it's it's my turn this year so that would be my my approach however if she does stay in the tennis in the land tournament then i wonder if she's just thinking well, you know, I'm playing great tennis. Let's keep the momentum up. I could get another trophy here, but maybe, you know, she doesn't necessarily think that she can go all the way, um, mm. you know, to, to a Grand Slam trophy. I think it'll be interesting to see, you know, what that, that decision is. Yeah, I mean, I'd like to think she has the belief that she could win a Grand mm. Slam trophy rather, yeah, she should. rather than she thinking, should. oh, I could get to the quarters, but I'd rather win the trophy this week and then, like, you know, get to the second week. Well, yeah, we'll see. We'll see what happens. Or she might play a match at tennis in the land, but just kind of, mm. you know, do a bit of a, yeah, I'll play a Naomi match. Naomi Osaka and play yeah. one match. And yeah, then... <laughs> yeah, basically. <laughs> sorry, I'm sorry, Naomi Osaka fans. Yeah. <laughs> um, I mean, one one player I would ask you, do you think Iga Sviontek has the belief mm. that, that she can win the US Open? You know, she is the world number one, top seed, had a few indifferent you know i'd say uh recent tournaments in in cincinnati and also in in canada in in toronto uh you know she lost to madison keys here in straight sets i mean where where do you think that puts igor Svantec, who i feel like you know a few months ago we were talking about the you know the all-conquering fearless igor Svantec, her streak all those amazing wins on on the clay court it feels a very very different world now doesn't it it does. We we're not talking about that amazing, you know, set of wins that she had anymore. We're kind of mm. questioning her, and and maybe she's questioning herself, and she's just not quite finding her groove. You know, losing in straights to to Madison Keys. I mean, who you know was playing a really good week of tennis. You know, got to the semifinals, beat you know Rybakina as well, and Ostapenko. So. Yeah, it's um Ostapenko and her dresses. Well, yeah, really, really bold <laughs> collar action from we, Ostapenko. We could do week. a fashion fave or fashion <laughs> faux pas or just Yelena Ostapenko outfits this season, couldn't we? Well, I mean, Ostapenko is maybe doing, we should. She's she's 
doing really well in the doubles. She won the Cincinnati mm. doubles with Kitchenock. Uh, they're, they're quite a formidable team. So, uh, but anyway, that's an aside. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Shreel Jack, I mean, when it comes to Grand Slam, she's won two of them. She's still the world number one. So I certainly expect her to raise her level, obviously, for Flushing Meadows. But yeah, I kind of am going, I'm doing it in two minds. I feel like she could go out in the third round to like a Shelby yeah. Rogers or she could yeah. go to the semis and beyond. So I'm 50-50 at the moment for me with, with Eager. <laughs> Yeah, I yeah, I'm I could I could see a crashing out in in week one based on you know based on what I've seen you know so far um you know in in the U.S. Open hardcourt swing. I mean, remember she took for me that really ill-advised tournament uh, you know in in Poland yeah. on clay that I think didn't help things, and you know I think that probably is one one of a number of factors. I, I do think there are times when she does play it too safe. And I think against Madison Keys, sometimes, you know, the tennis she was playing was a little bit too safe, particularly on the serve. I think there was a lot, you know, a lot of top spin there, just sat up. And, you know, if you're asking Madison Keys to hit a ball, she's going to go, in, she's going to go and hit it. Right. And uh, I, I just felt that a f- quite a few times on, you know, f- you know, on the, on the Sviontek service game. And it just didn't help her, I think hold serve easily put pressure on on keys's service game in in return so i think there's a thing few things that she's going to need to address and when she does come up against these ultra aggressive players who have the favorable conditions on on faster courts like at cincinnati like it probably will be at you know the us open i think she's going to need to be a bit more daring than i think what i saw here um in cincinnati so we just need to blame her dad, really, for that that tournament <laughs> and the fact that she played. Yeah. It's ruined her whole summer. It's ruined Basically, it. Basically, yeah. <laughs> um, I mean, Kvitova, let's talk about Kvitova. Obviously, she reached the final. It was actually her 40th career singles final, um, which I think probably made her feel quite old. <laughs> um, but she also, a bit like Garcia, you know, had dropped down to, uh, what, you know, not quite as low as Garcia, but um, 34 in the rankings, which is the lowest Kvitova has been ranked in the last mm. 12 years. Um, she's now back up to 21 in the world after reaching the final here. So, you know, pulling it out of the bag when she needed it to save her ranking a little bit. She, she could have very well been out in the first round because she did save match points over Jill Teichman, who I think you had reaching semis in, in your predictions or something, Joel. Um, yeah, because she, I think she was runner up. Runner last, up last think, year. Type, yeah, yeah, she was. Yeah, year. so she obviously likes likes these courts. But yeah, Kavita coming through that and then getting wins over Jabor and Key. So great week from her. Obviously, we know her pedigree on a on a hard court. You know, she's been to the Australian Open final previously. So perhaps a dark horse for for the US as well. Such a gracious loser, I mm. think. What arguably the most gracious loser, I think. On either side of the, I think of the the ATP and WTA tours. I think yeah, she's a a great competitor. I do think you know she struggled for consistency this season, but she is one of those players we always talk about when you can never you can never count her out. And you know, arguably, she's at her most dangerous. I think when she is unseeded, and you know, maybe she feels a little bit more a little bit more freedom. And, uh, you know, some of those top players are just not performing at the moment. I mean, she came through on Jabor in the third round. On has gone off the boil, I feel, a little bit since, you know, reaching the, the Wimbledon final, losing to, to Ryback in her. So, um, you know, there's definitely opportunities to be made. And before we move on to a quick break, Kim, let's talk about Emma Raducanu. Because this, 
This was quite a funny tournament for her, I, th- I think, because, you know, obviously big pressure, big expectation. Yes, she will say there's there's no pressure or, or I don't feel the pressure. But she had that marquee match against Serena Williams round one. And it was beautiful. For me, it was it was a thing of beauty. Staying up late, watching it <laughs> at midnight. It was just, for me, a complete destruction of serena williams and i don't say that lightly um you know serena williams great competitor but emma radicani just said i'm younger i'm fitter i know how to beat you and she did it i don't often hear a tennis match being described as beautiful joel i i, I really liked <laughs> i liked your description there great stuff um yeah it was really um i guess a lot of people were saying you know changing of the guard but i think it mm. showed um obviously emma's talent but it also showed serena's um struggles that she has now um with with yeah. these younger she got bageled she got bageled in the second set which has not happened many times in her career it has happened so few times i was actually thinking about making it the path for the courts for this week but it was actually, I think, a little bit too tricky to <laughs> to find all the all the players. Yeah, it might have been some really really niche runs there. Um, <laughs> but yeah, I think everyone was then saying, "Oh, Emma's back!" You know, just in time for the US Open, she's got a game sorted. Mm. She's honing herself, ready to defend her title, and obviously following it up with that whitewash of of Vika as well. You know, very out of sorts, um, Victoria Azarenka. But I mean, yeah, Emma's finding a bit of form. Obviously, she lost to you know, Jesse Pagula in the um the round after that, um, you know, wasn't quite as, as clean and, and you know, Pagula taking control, dictating in that match. But um I think Emma's still a lot more positive after those wins from this week as she, you know, looks ahead to to Flushing Meadow. So finding some form, getting, you know, wins against yeah, two players who are, you know, in the twilight of their career, um, one more so than the other. But I think, you know, positive wins. And yeah, obviously that match with Serena, um, yeah, noteworthy, I guess, for various reasons. To be honest, I think she'll take more out of the defeat um, against Pagula mm. versus the victories against uh, Serena and Azarenka. As, as you said, Azarenka was completely out of sorts, very, very one-sided. And Serena Williams, yes, she's on her, you know, her farewell tour. And, you know, she would have liked to have put up more of a fight. I think, you know, she walked straight off court, didn't give a, you know, post-match interview. I don't know if she felt embarrassed by her her performance, but certainly Radicanu bought her A-game. And it still, you know, goes back to that point. And I think one of the, you know, the X factors of, of Radicanu is that she does, I think, raise her game for the occasion for big moments you know we saw that that, that last year obviously in, in in new york and even with these matchups she i think just thrives in in that environment and i do think she looks at home most on the on the blue hard courts kim i don't i feel like of of you know we've seen her now on all the surfaces and i still feel like there's that she just looks that most comfortable here as opposed to she looks like she looks good on on the grass and I think she she handled playing clay, you know, at the WTA tour level for the you know for the first time very very well. But for me, seeing her back out on these blue courts, for me, this is at the moment is is where her her brand of tennis works best. Yeah, absolutely. I think that she, obviously she loves these courts. Um, it definitely suits her game more. And all those good memories from last year. I'm I'm you know we're all hoping we'll we'll 
compel her to uh to reenact some of them joel i know you you did have a little quiz for me before we recorded it was <laughs> to name all of the um yes. players she beat on that on her us open run last yes year. should i just bring them up for you and our, our listeners very quickly yeah before we go to an ad break. yeah go on we don't normally do kim a quiz segment pre i know pre-bait but oh. we're break, breaking the mold today aren't we <laughs> we are i mean listeners i don't know how well you can remember you know last year us open could could you name all the players because I, I was able to get like i think three or four of them wasn't i joel but the earlier ones uh were quite testing <laughs> yes yes it was yes so listen my question to kim pre-recording just as a little warm-up was <laughs> who were the players that, that radicani defeated along the way to her 2021 us open triumph and of course i'm going to do this in in order from starting with the finals. So we obviously had Fernandez from Canada, Zachary, Bencic, Rogers in round four, Sara Cerebes Tormo round three, Zhang in round two, and then Stephanie Vogel of Switzerland in round one. So very well done if you got all of those. Now this is where it gets really, really tricky. And I think I'll be very, very impressed if you get at least one of these, but the players she defeated in qualifying... Sharif of Egypt in, in final qualifying round, Bokvadze of Georgia, and Schufs of the Netherlands in qualifying round one. So yeah, very well done if you if you got any of those. Yeah, I mean Schufs and Bokvadze, uh, yeah, definitely definitely <laughs> not ones I remember, but anyway, great stuff. Um thanks, Joel. Let's take a quick break now, but we'll be back in the second half where we'll be talking about at Roger Federer's Royal Charity event at the Labour Cup, uh, the US Open wildcard picks, and all the latest action from the last round of hardcore events before Flushing Meadows. So do not go anywhere. Welcome back to Tennis Weekly with Joel and Kim, sponsored by DownloadTennis.com. And now we're going to move on to another little quiz section, um, which we'll be doing a mysterious player this week. So I've got something up my sleeve for you, Joel, and our listeners. Okay. Um, so not a path of the courts, but mysterious player. <laughs> so are you ready to be mystified? Mm. <laughs> well, I hope not. But uh, yes, I am. Um, I'm. I'm excited. Uh, was this like your? Were you thinking of this whilst you're walking up Snowden, just to sort of distract you from everything that you know, the pain of of walking up uh, a really steep hill? I was thinking through all of the currently ranked players on the ATP and WTA tours, thinking, <laughs> mm, which player can I pick? And I always worry that I've done a player before. You know, when I'm sort of choosing, we uh, should really one. have a list, we shouldn't should. we, of all the ones that we've done before. <laughs> I know because I I can't. We've been doing this for what a few years now, and I mean, hopefully the clues would be different. But I <laughs> I apologise if this is a repeat. I don't think it is. But anyway, <laughs> let's give it a go. Okay, right. Are you ready? Are we all ready? Okay, I'm ready. Lovely. Okay. Clue number one. I was born on the seventeenth of February, nineteen ninety nine. Ooh. Okay. Ninety nine. So quite young. So Holger Rune. Incorrect. Oh. 
I thought I was. I thought I was. I thought it was, was going to be a one and done there, but okay. Oh, that would be some something. You always assume it's a man, though, as well, Joel. Yeah. Just, just saying. Hashtag just saying. Well, I don't know if you're just you're just throwing me off guard with a comment like uh, that. Am I bluffing? Exactly. Mm. Mm. Uh, okay. Right. Uh, I am just thinking tactically what my next clue should be. Um, Okay, my best Grand Slam singles result was a quarterfinal at the US Open in 2020. I, th- I Joe, I think I know who it is. Because this person I know in my research definitely did get to the quarterfinals at the US Open. In, in your research? Yes. What are you researching? Well, maybe I'm wrong. Is it Borna Chorich? <laughs> <laughs> um no i see why you'd be researching that um no it's not actually oh it's not. Yeah. i i think he lost his very he might have done that but this person But he's not 19 years old so yeah well no i mean if you're born in 1999 you're also not 19 oh. so i think you can't add up <laughs> that is very true <laughs> slightly older than 19 okay okay um i am a right-handed player with a two-handed backhand I know that doesn't really narrow it down, but it does eliminate some people, I guess. So they're actually not 19. They're actually more like 22, 23 quarterfinal. Leila Fernandez? Incorrect. Incorrect. But she she, she has got to the final of a yeah, slam. I, I, so, I, yeah. yeah, I panicked a little bit there. Right, next question. I moved to Alicante in Spain when I was five and did most of my early education and training in this location. Mm, Alicante. Um, Paula Badosa? Incorrect. Incorrect. Tough. tough. Okay. Um, In my home slam... My best singles result so far has been the fourth round in 2022. Fourth round in 2022. I think it could be, I feel like for some reason it's a French player. Or is it an Australian player? Oh, God, this is hard. Um, Hugo Gaston. <laughs> Incorrect. <laughs> okay. My father is from Uruguay and my mother is from Spain. My father owned an Italian restaurant in Sydney, which is where I was born. Oh, okay. Okay, I think... International. Mm. Alex de Menor? <laughs> yes well done yeah <laughs> i was trying to be like a bit more um i don't know uh not well anonymous obviously but uh i thought that would yeah probably get get it uh when, when she said <laughs> australia but uh yeah up to then you weren't you weren't going for him so uh listeners mm. i hope you you got that maybe maybe you got that before joel with some of the uh more general cue, uh, clues i was going to go on to the fact that he's got six career titles uh Highest current ranking of 15 in the world. When was the clue about him dating Katie Bolton? Well, that was going to come in later. That would also be quite obvious. Um, But yeah, plenty to go on for uh, Alex de Menor. Or or, yeah, D Menor, as uh, Mm. I think they... Or Demon, or Speed Demon. Demon, yeah. 
Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Uh, ADM, as we do like a, an acronym. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, well done. Excellent stuff. Um, we've also got a, a lovely uh, question for our Tennis Weekly mailbag, Joel, from Stephen, uh, who emailed us. Um, thank you, Stephen, for getting in contact and uh, glad you like the pod. Um, Stephen's asking us, who do we predict will be ranked number one in the men and women's singles by the end of 2023? Gosh, that is a million dollar question. Um, I'll let you lead on this one, Joel. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yes. Due to my excellent predictions uh, for, uh, yeah, over the last few weeks. Um, I'm going to go, thinking about this all day, and I've been going to go with, for the men, I'm going to go with Daniel Medvedev. Uh, and for the women, maybe maybe I'm being a bit boring here, but I'm going to go with Iga Sviontek. I don't think there's going to be much change i think well sorry i think there might be some changes like along the way but i still think yeah towards the end of next season you know i did think about you know sisipas or even or even zverev um you know depending on how he comes back from from injury post us open but yeah i still think medvedev for me is the most um kind of consistent player across you know across the season and he always has a strong, I think, end, you know, towards the season, um, you know, on the, on the hard courts in the United States and then going back into into Europe. So that was a part of my kind of factoring in is is who kind of ends their seasons like strongly. And, and yes, Novak Djokovic is part of that conversation. But yeah, I'm just going to go Daniel Medvedev because, um, yeah, I just like the way he's playing at the moment. And again, I think with Iga Sviontek, um i just think she's gonna have like even if she does have a blip here or there i just think she's gonna have too many points and there's you know gonna be players who may not be performing to the level they should and i think that yeah she's just gonna have so many points that she's gonna be hard to to catch up on and she's she's gonna be like in credit a lot i think you know by the you know the halfway point next season for example so even if it may not be as plain sailing i still think yeah she'll be well, number one. Yeah, really tricky. I think I, I agree. S- similar lines. I think both of those players are consistent. It's a really boring answer. Though. I wish I, I could know. have said something like, you know, Nick Kyrgios and... <laughs> Taylor Townsend. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. <laughs> I mean, really random. Uh, first name <laughs> that came to my mind there. Um, yeah, I think both of those players are you know, will have built up, yeah, quite maybe a considerable lead. I, I'm going to say, I'm going to say Djokovic though. I think he, um, he's not going to go anywhere anytime soon. Mm. And I think that, you know, things can change. He's he's still there or thereabouts and it's hard to look beyond. Um, but well, yeah, Djokovic, Medvedev, Alcaraz perhaps there, you know, mm. my, my cohort yeah. of players. I mean, I'd love Rafa, obviously. Um, on the women's side, um, Assuming the Renaissance has ended by then, um, I guess she well, will it? <laughs> do you th- I mean, do you think Caroline Garcia could get back to? Could she? Could she fulfil Andy she? Murray's prediction? Promise. I mean, that would be great, <laughs> wouldn't it? That would. That would be fantastic. She probably doesn't have many points to, uh, you know, uh, defend. For, well, for this season anyway. But um... I feel like we need an Andy Murray like reply to that tweet now. <laughs> you know, I'm surprised there hasn't been one already. Actually, if she does ever get to number one. 
the that will be retweeted to high heaven, won't it? <laughs> Finally, all these years later. Mm. I mean, I was wondering about Naomi Osaka. Do you think she could have her own renaissance? No, no. Or is she definitely no. out? Oh, she's she's definitely. I no. think she's. You think she's? I just had it. She's too. Uh, my personal view is she's too part time for me mm. uh, at the moment. Uh, that she doesn't. To me, she's not fully committed, and as a result, she's never going to be able to get to world number one yes she might win she might win another grand slam uh, or, or two but for to be world ranked number one i think you have to have consistency throughout the season at grand slam level and off you know and just on the you know day-to-day tour and i i just don't think osaka has that at the moment and i i to be honest i just can't i just can't see that happening you know based on you know what i've seen so far like this season no yeah absolutely fair enough and that's the reason really why we're probably both Sticking with Shriontek. So thanks, mm. Stephen, for getting in contact with that excellent question. Keep them coming. We love to hear from everyone. A um, couple of talking points, Joel, from this week. Labour Cup. We've he- heard that um, they're doing a practice day on the Thursday at the O2, uh, which is going to be a charity uh, collaboration between Roger Federer and uh, the Duchess of Cambridge with uh, tickets having been sold. They came on sale today for this practice day. And it's going to be, yeah, all the ticket sales going to uh, the LTA Tennis Foundation and also Action for Children, which are two organisations that the Duchess of Cambridge is um, a patron of. What do you make of this sort of ticketing of of a practice day? I mean, it's not really a day, is it? It's it's a session, essentially. It's like a two-hour session um, of Team World and, and Team Europe. So, obviously, it does open the doors to fans who are able to see these players up close obviously raising money as well for charity um i mean what, what's your sort of view on on this yeah it's 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 an interesting one because this was the first time you know i actually had a couple of friends right you know raise this to me who are big big tennis fans and uh yes i understand it is for charity and it's a you know it's a great initiative and i, I love actually seeing the royal family get involved in in tennis at, at this level it's uh you know it's it's great to see and um you know it's it's really really positive um i do think it's sort of interesting they've called it the labor cup open practice day feels like they're amping it up more than what it is because it, it just runs from you know 12 till 12 till 2 p.m uh you know based on the the information i've i've read and um yeah i think for me that i'm just a bit nervous on this idea of practice sessions being ticketed you know i've been to lots of you know tennis tournaments and you know the whole fun of of getting into these you know these events is that yes you can watch matches but there's also that opportunity to go to the practice courts and and watch them and it's a bit of a you know a, a, like a side attraction an addition you can see you get really interesting insight into what these players do to kind of prepare for their their matches and it's never really kind of been considered as an opportunity i think you know to to monetize and i don't like this idea that we're getting to a point where we're going to have completely separate practice sessions and these are going to be ticketed. I mean, the pricing for the event here was £22.50 uh, for upper level tickets and £35 for low, lower level tickets. So the idea of paying £35 for what is effectively a practice session, yes, you will get an amazing experience, I have no doubt. And I think it works maybe in the context of Labour Cup, but I am nervous that tournament organisers from elsewhere might see this and think, oh, is there an opportunity to make more money out of fans by, yeah, making practice sessions a ticketed event on top of 
tickets for your general uh, entry to view kind of tour level matches yeah i hope it's not something they start to do for other tournaments where they're kind of restricting mm. you know access to the practice i think i've seen in some tournaments that they, they kind of restrict access anyway just it's like off-site or you know you can't really get up close and i think that's not great for for the fan perspective so i hope this is just a one-off thing and i think the you know i hope the driving force is the charitable element rather than oh we're going to try and you know make as much money out of it as possible i mean obviously it's not if it's going for charity but i get that feeling sometimes that yeah everything's trying to be monetized and loses the sort of integrity of, of things sometimes but we'll, we'll see how this one goes um you know listeners i'd love to hear if any of you have snapped up tickets for the the practice sessions make, i'm make, assuming it's already sold out i would imagine so and it does give people the opportunity to go if yeah. they can't get tickets for the actual sessions because you know the tickets are pretty expensive they're all sold out um it's very in demand so it, it does open it up to everyone more well, not everyone but people who have not been able to get them for the actual exhibitions but yeah it would be interesting to see if the players you know, if they know that it's um, people are, have paid money to go and watch this practice, if they're going to jazz it up a bit rather than it just being like a regular practice session, I would I imagine that they have been told to do that. So we'll have to see how that works in, in reality. Um, and then, I mean, let's just before we, we close for the day, Joel, let's look ahead to we've got some tournaments um, obviously this week happening prior to the US Open, but also the USTA have announced the US Open wildcards for for this year's um, Grand Slam. I mean, on the men's side, we've got an obvious one, Dominic Team, you know, the 2020 champion has been given a wild card. Sam Query, obviously, uh, you know, USA, US player there who's, well, yeah. struggling a bit at the few, moment. Yeah, Quite a few US players. Ben, ben Shelton, ben quite a nice one. Yeah, yeah. JJ Wolf, Emilio Nava, I'm not too au fait with, with him, uh, or Lerner Teen either, um, but obviously uh, American hopes. And then they have that reciprocal agreement, don't they, with, with the French uh, Tennis Federation and Tennis Australia. So Ugo Umber and Rinki Hijikata have wild cards as well. Um, and on the women's side, I guess the most notable Venus Williams has uh, obviously been given a wild card. Um, Coco Vandervey as well. And then a couple of names that I'm not going to lie, I don't know. <laughs> but um, yeah, Elizabeth Mandlick, Peyton Stearns and Eliana Yu, who are, are American players. And uh, Serena Williams will be, well, wanting to avoid this player in the draw. Harmony Tan has a wild mm, card. Yes. <laughs> yeah, I know. I saw, when, I saw, when I saw the picks, I was like, oh, I'm sure Serena will... Uh... Yeah, be <laughs> thankful for that one. <laughs> I mean, Serena is in on a protected ranking, so um, she does not need a wild card. But uh, yeah, I mean, that would be an absolute. Uh, Imagine you know, if the draw. Yeah, Serena yeah. Harmony Tan first round. I mean, there are going to be so many eyes on who Serena Williams' round one mm. opponent is going to be. Um, but yeah, who who knows? Is it going to be Venus Williams? Is it going to be Harmony Tan? It could be absolutely anyone. But um, yeah, it's 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 been quite interesting. And I think you know, for me, what has also been quite interesting with the build up here is the stuff around withdrawals, Kim. Because you know, we don't know if Novak Djokovic is going to be able to play at the moment. Now he is still technically in the draw, and he's not uh, he's not withdrawn at the moment. So as a result of that. Um, he has not withdrawn before the cutoff. Now, if he withdraws after the cutoff, it just ho- opens up a whole bag of of <laughs> like issues and challenges. And I have inevitable f- 
feelings that it's going to upset a lot of, of fans when they're going to be like, why didn't you just withdraw from before the, the, the cutoff? Because, you know, there are people out there who are saying, are they denying other, for example, Americans um, who didn't get wild cards into the, into the draw? So, you know, players like Stefan Kozlov and, and Jack Sock. Now, both those players have now been entered because Zverev and Riley Opelka have withdrawn. But I think there is going to be a little bit of debate coming up on when Novak Djokovic withdraws. And I think it's like you're damned if you do and you're damned if you don't. But I get the feeling that he is going to stay in until the last possible moment. And I can't be, I don't think I can begrudge him of that because I remember a few years ago, Andy Murray, um, and I'm a big Andy Murray fan, did a very similar thing. You know, he was injured. He went over to New York, practiced, went past the cutoff and literally pulled out at the at the last moment. And, you know, if he does that, then I, I don't feel like I can sort of begrudge really what Novak Djokovic does. Yeah, I think, um, you know, <laughs> I think with, with these withdrawals, it's, it's, it's a pain, you know, when the draw is affected so that it's like all out of sorts. So you'd want someone to mm. withdraw it, with a bit of mindfulness for that. But at the end of the day, I guess these regulations that like Djokovic is hoping will change may change. And I guess you you, you don't want to jump the gun, do you? You don't want to look so, silly, do you? Exactly. That would be shooting <laughs> yourself in the foot. So mm. for now, I understand, um, you know, I understand why he hasn't. And But let's just see in the next week, we will know a lot more. <laughs> but yes, it's uh, you can see it from both sides. I mean, just the next week on tour, very quickly, Joel, we've got Winston-Salem, uh, where Grigor Dimitrov is the top seed. Uh, Jack Draper is seeded for this event, which is exciting. Botic van der Zandschorp, second seed. Maxine Cressy um, also there. And uh, a whole host of other names. Uh, that is happening. Oh, Carl Edmund is, uh, is, is in action as well. Uh, and then your favourite title. Um, sorry, not your favourite title. Your fav- Well, your favourite title for a tournament, Joel. Tennis in the land is happening. Yes, what a great name. <laughs> what a great name for a tournament. Yeah, this is the WTA 250 out in Cleveland. Uh, Barbora Krachikova is the top seed. Uh, Martina Trevisan is the second seed. This is the one that Caroline Garcia is currently in the draw for. We will wait and see if she decides to continue playing that. Um, <laughs> Clara Torson as well. Perhaps she might be someone to watch yeah. this week. I mean, she she actually defeated today uh, Harmony Tan 6-3-6-1. So... Mm. Tan's going to be going in quite cold, I think, into into US Open. But um, yeah, I also think Elise Cornet might be one to watch. Um, she dismantled Jastrzemska today, two and one. Yeah, Elise Cornet. Hmm. She, well, and this is supposed to be her, uh, possibly was her last mm. year on the tour, isn't it? And she's had some excellent Grand Slam <laughs> results. And how's, <laughs> how's Sophia Kenning going to get on? Because she's not had some great results of late, has she? She's got uh, a qualifier. Delena Hewitt in the first round. I'm not saying it's now or never, Kim, but someone of, of Kenin's stature, even on, on past performances is alone, I feel like she, she should be getting the job done there. Yeah, I mean, I think she was actually due on court. Uh, she's on later today against, yeah, mm. Dalayana Hewitt. So she's shown very shortly, actually. So we uh, have to wait and see on that one. Um, we've also got a, an event in Canada, which I think is a new one. The Granby WGA 250. Uh, Kina is the top seed there. Um, and Daria Saville, who has come in for 
someone that's withdrawn because Sarah's the ninth seed at the bottom of the draw. <laughs> um, but Harriet Dart is there. She's already got a win under her belt against the Nefska, which is great. Uh, so I have to see how she gets on. But yeah, all these um, kind of warm-up events, I guess, you know, they are events in their own right, obviously. But often there's a name here on there that um, they have a good week and they continue that good form into the slam. So always worth keeping a beady eye on results from these tournaments this week uh, in case we can try and make a, a smug prediction going into Flushing yes. Meadow. <laughs> I know. I know. And it's all very exciting because we are getting a lot closer now to mm. the start of the US Open, which starts next Monday. And as always, we will be switching up our coverage and going from tour catch-up mode into round-by-round round coverage at Tennis Weekly HQ. So we will be covering uh, with a preview episode, then round one, round two, round three, round four, quarterfinals, semifinals, and the final. We are going to be having our preview episode on Friday evening UK time. I believe the draws are made on Thursday. So me and Kim will be back on Friday to look at the draws. We're going to be announcing our collector set as usual. And Kim, it's really exciting because the Tennis Weekly mugs, they have now arrived at your home and we've got one mug ready to go out to the winner, you know, our first ever batch of, of Tennis Weekly mugs. I know, Tennis Weekly. Uh, I mean, we, we, we have, I have a stack of them um, and they are waiting to be won and they are mm. looking lovely and divine. Um, I'm looking after them nice and safely for you lovely listeners. <laughs> uh, but yeah, we'll have Collector Set obviously running again, um, thinking, up, thinking up the picks um, for Collector Set, mm, which is exciting. Yes. We will keep them under wraps until until Friday. But um, yeah, we will be back. Um, as I said, we're going to be doing round by round coverage as usual. Chris will also be on hand for some of the episodes. I am actually annoyingly on holiday for a couple of the episodes. So there's going to be a bit of a combination between me, Kim and Chris as we go. So uh, yeah, it's going to be very, very exciting. And we kind of are very much looking forward to it. So I hope you can join us uh, for our next episode, which will be our US Open preview, which will be going up Friday evening UK time. Remember to subscribe to us on whatever device you listen to us on to stay up to date on all the action to come at the US Open. We're on Apple Podcasts, Spotify and all major podcasting platforms out there. You can also listen to us on the downloadtennis.com app and if you like what you're hearing then make sure to leave us a rating and comment on Apple Podcasts or Spotify. And you can follow us on social media. We're on Facebook, Instagram and Twitter at Tennis Weekly Pod. So do give us a like and a follow. Let us know any comments and feedback and questions you may have as well. And if you prefer, you can get in contact via email as well, tennisweeklypod at gmail.com. And don't forget to check out our website, www.tennisweekly.co.uk. And we will be back on Friday at Tennis Weekly HQ for our US Open preview episode. So I hope you can join us for that. But in the meantime, it's goodbye from Kim. Goodbye. And it's goodbye from me. We'll see you again soon. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. 
Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.